Hey guys, it's Zach. Before we get into today's show, I want to give you a heads up on a new show that we're doing on The Zone. It's called Kenny and High Alper. It's myself and Ben Kenny. It's all Badgers for an hour every Thursday, 6 to 7. You can listen to it on 1670 AM or 96.7 FM. You can also find it madcitysportzone.com. And we also have an app that you can download and, and listen there. If you can't listen there, we have the podcast up right after. It's usually 45, 50 minutes every Thursday just talking Badger football, Badger basketball, anything Badger related, we talk about it. And as the season of the camp winds down, this will be our final show until probably July. It'll be a great fill-in for that. So if you have a chance, check it out again, live every Thursday from six to seven, or you can find the podcast afterwards. All right. Here's our show. In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Well, spring practice is done for the Badgers. They finished up practice number 15 on Friday. It was a long practice. It was nearly three hours. They were in full pads. Got a lot of 11 on 11 work. We'll get into all of that and, and really just recap all of spring that we saw. We got to see the final 12 practices of spring all of them fully open to the media. We've obviously gone over much of what we've seen throughout, but Jesse, uh, everyone that's been watching practice uh, has their wrap-up articles, what they saw in spring, some of the bigger takeaways from spring, including you. And I know uh, you published that Sunday morning and kind of like to just go through it a little bit to start this off. But when you think back of the spring and just spring practice in general, what will you remember from spring, if anything? Well, I would say I feel like I've got a better grasp of what's going on with the football team than maybe I ever have. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, as you mentioned, we had a chance to watch each of the last 12 practices, which may be a record. Um, for me, my biggest takeaway, I think, has to do with the offense overall, because let's face it, there's been a ton of questions dating back to the last couple of seasons, but certainly last season and into this offseason about what Paul Christ was going to do, whether he would make any moves, which coaches he would hire. I think, and feel free to disagree, but I, I feel like the, the coaching staff has really taken some key steps to try and reinvigorate the passing game um, and really advance what the Badgers haven't had the last couple of years. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be thrown for 300 yards next season, but I think at least they're trying some different formations to get four or five pass catchers involved on a given play, legitimate pass catching threats. And I think there's a renewed energy with those guys on offense too, because they talked about it in the interviews that we had with them about Jack Eschenbach said the vibe of the offense is a lot better right now. And players feel like the skill sets are going to be utilized a little bit better. So that's not about a specific player, but just overall, it seems like they're, they're really putting in work to try and do some different things for next season, which will be welcome. I think uh, for Badgers fans. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is obviously something that we've talked about throughout the spring, but it, it really comes down to the quarterback, doesn't it? Like, I mean, whether any of that stuff matters, it, it comes down to whether Graham Mertz can be the guy that can consistently do what he needs to do uh, to move the ball down the field. And, uh, you know, when I think about his spring, there were good moments. There's no doubt about there were good moments that he had. I mean, he, he finished uh, a practice on, was it, was it Tuesday's practice that he uh, really lit it up towards the end of it after a little bit of a slow start? I think that was it. Or am I thinking of yeah. last Saturday? You know, I yeah, don't he had back-to-back back, right. back bombs to Chimray DK. Yeah, but then like there were, I mean, and then obviously the Twitter account put out some other passes that he hit on as well. 
Like there were there were good moments there, but the lack of consistency continues to be the biggest issue. And yeah. I, I think if you're an optimist, you will sit here and say and pin that towards all those new coaches, the brand new uh, wide receiver core, the, the lack of experience there outside of Chimray DK, and then like the the lack of you know healthy bodies at tight end. You could put all that, you could say all that and point to that's the reason why he struggled. If you're the pessimist, you'd be like, there's a career's worth of evidence that just suggests that is who he is and that is who he's going to be. If uh, I were to ask you, which one of those are you closer to? What would it be? Huh. Um, I, oh man, I, that's a really, really hard question to answer right now um, because I don't have the answer. I, <laughs> I, I would have thought, I suppose I'll put it this way. I would have thought it would you would have seen some more consistency this spring, but I completely understand why there wasn't for all the reasons that you laid out. Like they're learning a new offense. There's a lot of new pieces. And we saw numerous occasions where there were miscommunications. Graham is talking to his receivers. He thinks they're going to go one way or they don't even line up. Right. Um, like the smallest details, but I think you still would have liked to have seen some more of those. It doesn't even have to be the home run balls. And the way I put it in my recap is just, consistently delivering good balls that give teammates a chance because that's what Paul Chris said coming into spring practice that was going to be a point of emphasis. And there were a lot of occasions where I think a one stretch early in earlier in the spring, the first two 11 on 11 sessions, there were four overthrows. The guys didn't have a chance um, or plays that it's an underthrown ball and it gets picked off, or he doesn't see John Torchio over the middle and it gets picked off. And I think that's the kind of stuff that it just, you, you can't have that. And I don't know how much to put on all the newness and the timing and the rhythm, because that's a very real thing. Other than Shimray, all those guys are trying to figure out how to work with Graham. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about where things are headed for him next season. I, I would like to think that he's going to be better and more consistent, especially when he gets more time with those guys, when they learn the offense a little bit better and have fall camp to do it. As you said, though, you got two two years worth of starting games other than that opener against Illinois when he was on fire that make you question whether he makes the leap. If I were to say coming into this spring, if people were hoping that he was going to make a, a giant, a good size leap heading into his third year as a starter, they would be disappointed by a spring. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? I, I think they probably would, but I also want to temper everything that we've seen for all the reasons we, we've laid out. He's still comfortably the top quarterback. Obviously there's really, I don't think anyone who's going to challenge him, although Chase Wolf, I thought had a pretty good spring, but uh, you know, it, when you do a recap of uh, who were the 10 players who stood out or whose stock rose, like he's not on that list. It doesn't mean he had a bad spring. I think it was very important in a lot of different areas. You just didn't see moments. You didn't see a whole practice or a week of practice where you said, okay, he's, he's so locked in. There are no mistakes or there are few mistakes. No doubt. But I, I, I guess I don't really know. I mean, they're right. You know, we, <laughs> Sorry we were, for the listeners. <laughs> no, 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 no. More definitive. But here's the thing, like, and, and you kind of laid it out in, in your article is like, we were texting during practice a little bit. We were on opposite sides of thing. We were texting back and forth kind of about what we were seeing. And there were some, you know, and, and for, you know, there were some uh, like, uh, gosh, how did he miss that kind of throw? And uh, some of that type of stuff. And then like three seconds later, he's, hitting on all these really impressive passes. That is kind of where he's at. There's just the, the lack of consistency. And I, and then I know that people are going to hate to hear that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, he, he was not a guy that stood out this spring. Like, uh, like if you, as you mentioned, if you're going to do guys that stood out this spring, it wouldn't, he would not be on that list. I think maybe it's just because of what he did the last two practices. I think Chase Wolf be, would be on that list. I thought he had a, I thought he had a really good spring. That said, I don't think it's going to somehow change what no. they do because Chase Wolf is still the guy that while he threw a bunch of touchdowns on Thursday and on Thursday and Friday, he also threw a bunch of interceptions like that. That's who he is. And you can't trust that in the game. So I, I find it very hard to believe that he's going to be able to challenge for the starting job this, this fall. Like, I don't think we saw anything in the spring that's going to all of a sudden change it. And, and Chase Wolf is going to have a shot. And and that's where I am too. I wrote about him as well, because there are moments uh, and he, he caught fire on Friday during stretches in the final practice, like three straight completions, a 49 yard touchdown to Skylar Bell. There's been other moments where he just drops in a perfect ball. I, I feel like it's I, all of this needs to come with a disclaimer or an explanation to people who are listening to understand that a lot of what Chase was doing was against the second or even third team defense. And so it's not an apples to apples comparison here either. Um, when he's doing this, it might be against a safety who, you are not going to see on the field next season. Having said that, this sort of is who, who Chase is. He can make these great plays. He can extend plays with his with his leg. He can with his legs. He can drop into different arm angles and complete passes other guys can't. But he will also give the ball away. And as you said, there were several different instances. And I'm not saying any of these quarterbacks were perfect, but I think of just this week, for example. There's a, a play on Tuesday where. Cade McDonald bats a pass at the line of scrimmage into the air. Cedric Dort intercepts it. Uh, on Friday, at a couple picks, he threw into traffic for Koldakovich. Owen Arnett intercepts it. There's another one on a deep ball that Avion Jones intercepts, and that may or may not have ended in a sack, um, which is another kind of explanation that we need to give, and I think we have, that sometimes it's tough to tell, well, would the play have been dead? Would he have actually made that throw? But that's kind of what Chase is, has been the last couple of years, right? He's got 24 passes and four interceptions the last two seasons. So I think if coaches could trust him a little bit more with the ball, or if he just was the type of guy who was going to do his job and not make any mistakes, maybe it would be a little bit closer, but Graham has the highest ceiling, obviously, and they're going to roll with him for another season. Yeah, they are. So that is the quarterback spot. But when you look at other questions on, on offense, I think it has to be, along the offensive line. Um, yes. You know, those. that's the next big question in my mind is, let's just go along the line and kind of give me your thoughts on where this is. Because I think when it, when I did my recap, I looked at left tackle and I'm like, all right, I think I'm pretty sure Jack Nelson's going to be their starting left tackle, right? And I'm pretty sure that Joe Tippman's going to be their starting center. Like, I know those two for sure. I, I feel pretty good about Tyler Beach at left guard, though we'll get to the Perhaps, maybe not, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, Michael Furtney was with the first team at right guard pretty much throughout spring. And then there's right tackle. And I don't know what they do at right tackle with Logan Brown because what he showed in the spring probably isn't good enough to be the starter going into the season. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. Um, I will also say, and I haven't published my offensive 2D projections yet, but I will this week. I think I'm still going to list him as the starter for now. And the reason is, um, and the, the big question to me is Tanner Bordellini is yeah. what Wisconsin does with him because yeah. he was the starting center throughout the spring because Joe Tippman was recovering from an injury. As you mentioned, Tippman got the center job locked up, was really good last year, took the job from Caden Lyles in, in fall camp and never looked back. Um, but Tanner 
is too good not to play. He is one of the five best offensive linemen they have. And Bob Bosta discussed this with reporters that he sees him as an interior player and specifically as a guard. They've got a lot of tackles. They've got a lot of talent at tackle, less so on the interior. They like Tanner on the interior. And so for me, I won't be surprised if he winds up taking Michael Fertney's spot at right guard. And not that Michael did anything wrong this spring. Um, and he's a guy who's been here for a long time, has played in 31 games with two career starts. But I just think Tanner is somebody that they need in there. And I don't think they, I don't see him taking Tyler Beach's spot. So that leaves right guard in my mind. And if they do that, then as you mentioned, they're still right tackle with Logan Brown. I think he really struggled uh, with edge rushers. The thing is, they need to know that they've got a group uh, or individuals that they're not going to get you beat in a bad way. And I think we saw a lot of situations where there was someone coming off the edge, running around him, running through him. It was a bit of a struggle. And look, this is the first time he's ever played on the right side. He was a left tackle his whole high school career. He was a left tackle his first few years in Wisconsin's program. But my question then would be, well, who if Bordellini's on the interior, which I believe he will be, who could be at right tackle if it's not Logan? You know, Nolan Rucci was with the twos. Um, Riley Mallman got one reps at left tackle. He was the backup left tackle. I think he could play right now. I don't know if Bob Bosted wants him on the right side, but those are a couple of the guys that I think if they want to evaluate further in the fall, they can. But I do think Logan has a little bit of work to do. I'm also not writing him off and saying he's not going to be the starter, but completely agree with you. What he put, I think, on tape for 15 practices isn't the standard that Wisconsin wants to be a dominant offensive line. I think if Joe Rudolph was still the offensive line coach, Tanner Bonalini would be the right tackle. If everything else was the same. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Like if everything else was the same and they had moved Jack Nelson to left tackle and all that good stuff, I think Tanner Bartolini would, would be the right tackle. He's not though. Bob Bostad is. And Bob Bostad, as you mentioned, has a different way of looking at guys and potentially where they fit. So I, I think it may be a little bit early for Nolan Ritchie. I don't think necessarily yeah. he's ready. When Logan Brown would miss time, Trey Wedig was with the first team offense at right tackle. So I think Trey Wedding could be a possibility there. He worked at uh, right guard throughout. I mean, he was a second team right guard pretty much the entire time, but also saw reps at right tackle and at left tackle at different times. The thing about Bordellini, you mentioned right guard. I mean, he didn't get any snaps there. He did get some snaps. I know. Guard. I know. It was bizarre. And it was, it was with the twos when he got the left guard work. And I don't know yeah. if it was because they liked the cohesion on uh, with the twos. Because as you said, Wedig was getting all most of the reps when he wasn't at the tackle spot at right guard, whereas yeah. at left guard, it was Dylan Barrett. You saw J.P. Benchwall in there briefly, so maybe it was just easier to put him in there at left guard. But that sort of had me scratching my head, too, because, again, I think he's going to wind up at right guard, but we, he barely got any right guard reps. Yeah. The thing is, he's he is versatile, and he's played, what, four of the five positions already? I think the only position yep. he hasn't played in a game was left tackle, but everywhere else he's played. And I think you're right. I think he has to find a spot somewhere and it's probably one of the guard spots. And I know Tyler beach, I thought was fine at left guard. Like I didn't, yeah. I don't think we noticed. I don't think I noticed anything that stood out poorly about him, but again, Bob Bosta watching the film and seeing what he's seen and maybe he likes something different, but I, they, they gave Logan Brown absolutely every chance in the world to grab that spot. Like, I mean, you don't keep him in there in the entire 15 practices at right tackle if you're not allowing him to, to make a run at it. And that's, again, it's, it's tough. He, he's dealt with injuries. 
throughout his time. He's probably not as strong um, as he probably wants to be, but he, they, they do think him being on that side is better for the shoulder injury that he suffered earlier in, in college. I don't know, man. It's uh, that's a tough one because he's, he's talented, but he it just hasn't shown up yet. And I don't know how much of that is just him being on the right side and not having played there before, but I don't think you can go into a, into September 3rd. If that's the type of play you're going to get from your right tackle, I don't think that's, I don't think you can go with him as your right tackle. Yeah. I would say the first couple of weeks of fall camp and presumably reporters will have a chance to see a decent chunk of that before they close things down and get ready for the opener will be very interesting because yeah. it, and, and Paul talked about this when he met with reporters after practice on Thursday, the general approach to spring practice is usually uh, he's willing to sacrifice some of the details by keeping guys in the same spot. So everybody can get reps. Um, like when you get to fall camp, that's not how it works. So if Logan isn't where you think he's going to be, you might see some other guys. there getting reps with the ones at right tackle. Um, and we didn't really see that because as you said, this was a great chance for him to work on that with, with little pressure, given that the first game was still four or five months away. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Now, Bob Bostead history of moving guys around. I think back to 2011, uh, when Gabe Creamy had graduated, Rick Wagner had been, you know, on the right side and they moved him over to, to left tackle. So it's not like he's, he's going to find the best guys to fit. So I think you mentioned of Riley Mallman is a potential guy that could move over the right side, because I thought he was very, very good Mm -hmm. at left tackle. Again, offensive line play, extremely hard to grade, but I thought he looked pretty good over there and moving over the right side while it's not you know, as easy as, as one would think it is, it, he, he can do it. And he, he spent his entire entirety of bull, uh, bull prep at right tackle. So at least he has some experience there, uh, a month's worth of experience there. I, th- I think that's a possibility if, if they decide they want to go, you know, if it's not Trey Wedig or, or Nolan Ritchie or, or uh, Logan Brown or Tanner Bordellini for that matter. But we'll see. So those, those to me are like the two biggest questions on offense. I think the other thing we found out in camp here is that Tim Ray DK has the chance. And I think the ability to be their first legit number one wide receiver since Quintez. Yeah. He was far and away the number one guy, which really shouldn't surprise anybody, but it's, but I think he took a, I thought he took a step. Like it's not yes. just like he was playing the same way he's played the last couple of years. Like there were some catches, some routes, some of the moves that he had, like he just, he looks he just looks more confident. He looks like a true, true number one guy. Yeah, he's the, the route running is crisp. The, the way he uses his body to shield off defenders and just make plays, I think he does have a chance to be special. And there was a reason why he was the number one guy of any quarterback who was in there when he was running routes. Um, I thought it was interesting. Sort of, They used him a lot in the slot during the spring, um, and it was a great matchup with him and Justin Clark at cornerback. Yeah, um, but he can – he can play anywhere. Um, and I think that's sort of makes him more dynamic too, because it, it, it really, it doesn't matter where you line him up. You can throw him out there and he's going to make a play. I think when I go back to all the, uh, the different offensive weapons they could have or the, the willingness or the want to, to use four or five legitimate pass catchers, a lot of it has to do with the development of the rest of the wide receiver core, because you, I think, you know what you're going to get with Chim Ray. Skyler Bell really impressed me this spring, but for the most part, it's guys who haven't done it in games other than Chimre. So in some respects, you need those other guys because it'd be 
far easier to just bracket Chimre and say, we'll make these other guys beat you. If they can't do it, you're in big trouble. So for as good as Chimre is, and this is kind of like with Braylon Allen too, and we'll get to the running backs, you need help. And that's where I think uh, they made some big strides in the spring. Yeah, they definitely did. I think you could say that obviously Chimre had the best spring of the wide receivers, but I think Skylar Bell, maybe just a notch below that. Yeah. And to me, maybe it's because I knew Chimre was going to be do what he did in the spring. I have Skylar higher up in terms of just how good of a spring he had, because I didn't know what to expect coming in. If that makes sense. Um, he just, he stood out so much. He is a top line guy. He was regularly running with the ones. Um, and he can catch any pass. He can run all the routes. I think he's got the ability to help them out in the run game in, in some ways, because he's got some speed around the edge. Wisconsin's obviously utilized that with its receivers over the years, but he's got strength. He's got speed. And Alvis Witted, obviously very high on him, sort of made some comparisons to Michael Gallup, who was an all American when Witted was coaching him at Colorado state, just in terms of, uh, play strength and also a willingness to block in the run game, which we know is very important. He stood out the most to me of, of all the wide receivers, not named Jim Ray DK for certain. Yeah, for sure. I think there are other guys that probably uh, maybe we're expecting a little bit more out of maybe a Marcus Allen. I thought yeah. he kind of turned it on towards the end. I thought he had yes. a couple strong practices to end it, but it took him a little bit uh, to get going. Uh, Keontes Lewis. I'm, I'm, this is not a guy I'm saying that should have showed more. I thought he had a really good spring and you know, he gives you everything that you want as a wide receiver. He's tall, he's fast, he's a willing blocker, he's got big play potential. I think he's going to make an impact. I don't know how big that impact is going to be because I think they do have a number of different guys that they can use. But I think Keontes is, I'll say this, he's not going to go without a catch this year. <laughs> that is reasonable, which somehow when you look at how much he played for UCLA, the fact he didn't record a single catch is mind-boggling. That's why he's at Wisconsin now, not there anymore. But I think... Pretty clearly, the top three wideouts coming out of spring are, are Keontes, Skyler, and and Chimre DK. Um, I think Keontes can have some big playability. He made some of those plays during the spring, so that to me is the top three. Wouldn't be surprised to see them all out there at the same time at various times. But Marcus Allen spent a lot of spring working with the number two offense, and he did come on strong late. I think he's got again sort of that big playability. He's got strength to me last season in the few reps that he got, there were moments where he just said, Oh, he's different for a true freshman to come in and make those types of plays. It's just being consistent. And I feel like you hear the word consistency or lack of it a lot coming out of the spring with these guys, but that's going to be a big key to his development. And also Dean Ingram, another guy that I think really stood out this spring. And some of it has to do with just, I had no idea what to expect from him. He had spent the last three seasons in the program as a cornerback, trying to learn the offense I think he can help them out, especially in the slot. He's got quickness. He's got playmaking ability. And I, we haven't even talked about Stefan Bracey because he can't stay healthy. He only practiced two full practices in the spring. But if he is healthy, I mean, I really feel like he could be a legitimate weapon. I'm not sitting here saying, like, <laughs> they're going to go five wide and, and just dominate in the passing game. But I do think that there are legitimate weapons that could go they've got six options potentially um now you're not going to throw to that many receivers but i think that's a good problem to have yeah i mean it's impossible not to be impressed with what dean ingram did right I yeah mean, he looks as he looks as natural a wide receiver as he did at cornerback and uh i thought he made it almost every practice that we saw he made some kind of noteworthy play i mean it, it when looking at standouts every practice you could potentially say he was there two out of every three practices that was just 
that was just who he was. And he was always uh, a guy that, whether it was because he was in the slot or what, he was a focal point for the quarterbacks, especially Chase Wolf. So I, th- I think he's going to give him something. I don't know how much it's going to be, but they're going to get him something. The other major question I think is at tight end mm-hmm. because I have no idea how to, how to build the depth chart with that group. You know what I mean? Like when I went to do it today or uh, I should say uh, yesterday, I have, you know, I don't know who's at the top of it. I, I went essentially just based on previous playing time. I kind of did the Bill Sheridan inside linebacker thing with it because I just, you don't know, like the move tight end spot, I mean, Jack Eschenbach has played a bunch of football. Clay Cundiff has played a, a good amount of football. Are they at the top, or would you put Jalen Franklin up there? Like, I don't, I don't know. And then at the inline tight end, Hayden Rushi and I think Koldakovich are probably your top two there. But then, you know, where does Cam Large fit in? Is he a fullback? Is he a tight end? Like, there are, are a ton of questions at that spot, and I don't think we're going to have an answer until probably a few weeks into fall camp. When healthy, I think it's Eschenbach and Cundiff. I think coaches like them as the top two. Um, but Hayden Rucci, got to have him in there. He's the best blocker they have. He's played snaps. Now, he was limited last season because he was dealing with an injury. But I think those are the guys that you would see the most of. You know, it's a matter of can they be healthy, obviously, which has been a storyline for a year plus. By the time spring practice wrapped up, they had Hayden, Jalen, Koldakovich, and Riley Nowakowski, who's listed as a fullback, because they didn't have anybody else. Jack Pugh who really flashed on a couple of occasions with his athletic ability, got hurt, injured his right leg. Now, Eschenbach and Cundiff both said they're going to be back in time for the summer, which is huge news for Wisconsin. Don't know where Cam Large is at from his recovery because we didn't have a chance to talk to him. But in my mind, it's Eschenbach and Cundiff. I think Cundiff's got that nice blend. He can block, but he can also make big plays. Um, And I think we had talked about this last week, had the longest play from scrimmage against Notre Dame, caught a touchdown pass late against Michigan. So when healthy, I think it's the, those are the top two. Uh, yes. I think a guy who really, I think maybe the biggest surprise at tight end w- was Jack Pugh mm-hmm. because of what he was able to do. Now, Jalen Franklin got more playing time than anybody, but Jack Pugh may have made the most plays from that position. He's a, a different athlete. Unfortunately for him, he went down late in spring with a leg injury and was on crutches and in a brace. I don't know how serious that injury was. It, he was putting weight on it, but so was Travion Blaylock. Like, I don't know exactly how serious that, that injury is. If it's serious, it's unfortunate for him because I think he had, uh, you know, the receiving ability could potentially be something that they would look at. But yeah, that position is, is one that is going to have to come together pretty fast when fall camp opens up. The only spot we haven't talked about on offense is, is that running back. Braylon Allen remains pretty good. He's okay. <laughs> yeah. I will say this. I, I think uh, towards the end of spring, he had a little bit of a, a fumble issue. Some, I would some, agree. Fumbling, some fumbling issues there. That was a problem for him early last season. He rectified it, uh, but people were going after it pretty hard. And he, he, he put it on the ground a couple of times. But other than that, he looks fantastic. He's going to be, I think, definitely involved in the pass game more. And I think it's kind of looked more explosive. Maybe that's just because the last time we saw him, saw him in the bowl game, but the, the Minnesota game, he just wasn't there because he was so banged up. He looked very fresh in the spring, and that's what you would expect. It's behind him that is, is kind of where the questions are, right? Yes. And Paul talked about on Thursday after practice as well, that he felt like he said the words that it wore on Braylon, especially last season when, when Ches Malusi suffered the season ending ACL injury in his left knee. Um, but that's exactly right because you can't rely on Braylon, even though he's just an absolute man child. Uh, well, he's 18 now, so he's a man. <laughs> um, yes. But 
thank God for everyone that he's 18 now. Um, I think obviously if Chez is able to come back by the opener, that's the best one, two tandem that they've got. The question is, will Chez be able to do that? Now he feels confident that he will, obviously that's his goal for the September 3rd opener, but you didn't have him. You didn't have Garendo. You didn't have Brady Shipper who were all out for the spring. I thought Julius Davis did some really good things in the spring um, until he got hurt late, late in practice. You know, he's, he's got some good bursts. I mean, the play I think of is he was 20 yards up the field and hurtled him on Williams. Um, Like there are some things that he can do very well. Now, if everybody's healthy, I don't know necessarily what his role is, but certainly they've got to get those injured guys back so that they can help Braylon. Um, You know, Paul was also asked, because of that situation, would they consider anybody in the transfer portal? And I, Paul said he feels really excited about the group, and he thinks that the three guys who were out made the most of uh, their preparation. And he, so I think he must feel pretty good about the group overall. But to your point, like those guys have to be healthy because you can't give the ball to Braylon 35 times a game. You can't, and I also don't think you can count on Isaac Arendo. Yeah, it's been it's been an issue, no doubt about it. Like the last three seasons, he's battled various injuries. I mean, this one in during the season was a, a total freak injury. Someone stepped on him during warmups of the uh, Illinois game. But but I'm with you. You know, it's it's what what has he shown you the last three seasons? Now, if healthy, he can be pretty good. But it's a big if. Yeah, it's a it is a a big if, and no running backs coming in either. In terms of well, Cade Yacomelli, I mean, who's not a true running back, uh, was kind of a do-it-all guy in high school. I I think he's coming in to play running back. He said that on our show back in December, at least. That was that was what Joe Rudolph told him, right? Yeah, that that's true. But given the fact that they've got three wide receivers coming in, uh, yeah. I I see him more as a running back. Okay, all right. So, do you think Ches Malusi is there on on uh, game one? Boy, well, his injury was. Uh, when was the Rutgers game? November, early November. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know because you know all we can go on is is what he says, and he feels like he's going to be on track to do that. But that's ten months out from an ACL injury. Uh, I'll say yes <laughs> at this point. Um, but if it's not him, you know, there's some big questions. I think Julius Davis is the two. If it's not him, I I, yeah. I know I. I I know Isaac Rendo has all that potential, but I just, it's until I see it until it's something that can, he could be on the field for an extended period. Like the last two seasons have, have come to an end because he can't. And um, I think Brady Shipper is a nice story, but I think Julius Davis is better than him, uh, especially on first and second down. Mm-hmm. So I think if Julius Davis is, is healthy, I mean, he did have a look like he had a cast on his, on his wrist, uh, hand wrist at practice on Friday. But if he's, if he's there, I think he can be, he'd be the number two. And I don't think I'd be really worried about it again. Yeah, I, there, I, there have been, there have been flashes. Yeah. I think Julius is more than capable. He's kind of been buried on the depth chart for a long time, but um, I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised by that. Again, though, if Garendo or Malusi are healthy, um, I think those guys are above Julius. You think, you think Garendo is above Julius? If, if Garendo is fully healthy, um, I, I would think so. Um, he gives you something a little bit different from Braylon too. It's sort of that whole, whatever, thunder and lightning combination. I mean, he was in the top three. Is it like wanted him in the top three the last couple of years. You're, you were talking about Garendo when you're saying thunder and lightning. I just gives, it gives the, it gives the defense a little bit different look uh, as opposed to Braylon. Um, 
Yeah. I, I was, I, the reason I was questioning it was, I thought you, I thought you had mentioned Malusi there and Malusi now is what only about like 10 pounds lighter than Braylon. No, uh, it's, I mean, he's a, he, just Malusi changed his body. He's not the same running back that he was when he got hurt. Yeah. His trap muscles are out of this world. He's been in the weight room. Yes. So that, that is offensively. I, I, there are questions and that's what you would expect coming out of spring. But do you think they found some answers at places? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, especially at wide receiver, there's still a lot of room for growth there. Um, you know, maybe that's, that's the one that I feel like they, they made the most strides and we haven't mentioned fullback, but Jackson Aker going to be your number one fullback. I thought he did very well. He certainly can play running back, got some running back touches, but he's your one fullback and, and Riley Nowakowski is going to be your two, uh, assuming they've got enough healthy tight ends so he can move back there. So on defense, what's your biggest question coming out of spring with them? Well, I think the biggest question has got to be <laughs> the safety depth because Travion Blaylock got hurt and we don't know how long he's going to be out. But when Jim Leonard was talking to us, he said that it was serious enough, obviously, that uh, you know they can't be certain right now where things are going to stand for the opener. And Travion's been through an awful lot. But without him there in the spring, you had John Torchio and Hunter Wohler, which is a pretty darn good top two, and a bunch of guys who have never played. And when you go into next season – if Travion uh, isn't healthy and that remains to be seen, it'll be the exact same thing because you'll have five walk-ons. None of them have played and a bunch of guys who also haven't played. So I really think they might have to pursue the transfer portal this off season. That is the only position that I would say coming out of spring uh, that they need to look specifically for a transfer just to add some depth. Yeah. It's an interesting spot. I mean, there, there were some playmaking uh, happening, I think, in the last couple of practices. John Torchio uh, jumped a, a Graham Mertz pass. You saw Owen Arnett come up with a couple of interceptions on tip passes. Like there were there were some playmaking happening from the safeties, but I think there's also um, some of those deep passes that were being hit by the offense that we, we talked about and people are so excited about. We probably have to put that a little bit on the safeties as well. Exactly. And as, again, safeties who you're probably not going to see on the field next season. Yes. Accurate. Accurate. Um, all right. Along the defensive line, when you look at that spot, Keanu Benton missed time in, in yeah. spring. Isaiah Mullins missed time in spring. Rodas Johnson missed some time. It allowed some of these younger guys to get it. But I think that they're top five. We know they're top five, right? Like we know it's going to be Mullins, Rodas Johnson, James Thompson Jr. And probably Isaac Townsend as your uh, defensive ends. Yes. Keanu Benton as your nose tackle, but behind Keanu, there are some questions. Ben Barton manned that number two spot at nose tackle throughout the spring. I'm not necessarily sure he's going to be the guy. The other two options there, uh, Gio Piaz and Kurt Neal, and neither of them took part in contact drills during spring. So, I mean, they want to have two, two different lines that they can throw guys in there, and you don't want to play Keanu as much as, uh, you know, not every rep, but you don't want to play him so many reps that he becomes, it becomes difficult for him to produce. So who is that next guy? I think that to me is the biggest question there. Yeah. I thought Ben Barton had a pretty good spring. Um, obviously got more opportunities than he ever has before was the number two nose guard throughout some of that due to injuries, but then got all the one reps when Benton was out. I would say that if there's a situation where Keanu is out or can't go that Isaiah Mullins could be a potential option that knows because of what they have um, 
with both Rodas and James Thompson Jr. I mean, I certainly, I think James capable of being a starter um, and did get a lot of one reps, obviously later in spring with those injuries. But I think that could be an option where, where things stand now. Uh, Cause Isaiah has got the bulk. He's got experience. And the other thing is, um, you know, they're going to play a lot of nickel. So it's not like you're going to see three D linemen on the field very often. I think I was looking at the pro football focus numbers last season, Wisconsin was in the nickel a little over 55% of the time. So, you know, in that sense, you can rotate even more because you're not going to have three guys on the field a bunch, but that's, that's sort of where I think they could go, but it was important for Barton to show that, you know, he could give them some help. I think Gio Piaz obviously is, is falling because he wasn't able to play. And Kurt Neal, as you said, he's still coming back from the ACL injury. What's he going to look like in the fall, or will he need a little bit more time? I mean, the fact that they allowed him to practice, I know that they didn't allow him to practice any team drills, but the fact that yeah. they allowed him to go through individual drills would suggest that he's coming along pretty nicely. Yeah, because the ACL injury actually happened during a spring season his junior year, so it's it's been a year. It's not like it happened in the fall, like it obviously did with Ches Malusi or even a Corey Lyde, who's cornerback, who came in and was an early enrollee. So he's a year out. Um, obviously, they they like him a lot. Not many true freshmen uh, can make that jump, but Keanu certainly was able to. Um, but as of now, I think it's Keanu, and then they, they could give Isaiah Mullins a look, and then Ben Barton. I mean, their last two starting nose tackles were Olive Songapolu and Keanu Benton, and both of them were true freshmen that yeah. started. Yeah. It didn't necessarily go great all the time, but they were definitely out there. Um, <laughs> uh, Keanu, I think, had a better freshman year than than um Olive did but either way the, the defensive line much much better shape than it was last time they had this kind of turnover on defense yeah. if you think back to 2018 uh when they had to move Caden Lyles over to play defensive line because they had so many injuries and so many issues this defensive line so much in uh so much better than they a better spot they were back then and uh I think it's a it's a group that will allow this defense to have a chance to be uh very 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 good. The other spot that's going to have them being very, very good is the outside linebacker spot. And they, you go down the depth chart and it's just starter, 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 starter. <laughs> and I don't, you know, can they play five outside linebackers at once? The question, like, can you get that? Can you get that on the field? Kidding, of course, but you have Nick Herbig and then you have a whole bunch of, uh, I should say Nick Herbig and CJ Gatsu have played a ton. And then it's a whole bunch of young guys, but a whole bunch of young guys that made plays all spring. Yeah, I think Getz is going to be the day one starter. Um, Bobby a April said that he's their best run stopper, but yeah. I also wouldn't be surprised if Daryl Peterson makes that jump yeah. <laughs> um, at, the boundary, at the boundary spot. Because, and, and we should note, he's the only one that they played at, at both both sides. Um, yeah. Which I think tells you something about what they think his, his ceiling is. Like, Daryl's just a playmaker. A lot of those plays that were blown up and that were blown dead or would have been would-be sacks, Daryl was significantly involved. Um, I think he's in for a breakout retro freshman season. And I think that doesn't necessarily surprise me, like what he did in the spring because of where he was coming from. The fact that April gave him those chances in the bowl game. Obviously, they knew what they had with him. TJ Bowlers, to me, was the one who he didn't necessarily know because he, he came in, he was too heavy, and he acknowledged this. I think he was 258 last year on the roster, and now he's at 251. Friday might have been his best day, but he had a couple other days that I think I said were his best day. I was going through my notes. There were four would-be sacks. Um, 
he was just dominating in the backfield. And again, should be noted, not as though every rep was against the ones. So it's apples to oranges at times. But then I haven't even mentioned Caden Johnson, who had a really good spring as well. So yeah, the all those all five of those guys legitimately legitimately can play. It's a challenge, a good challenge that Bobby April has about when and how to use guys. I know that they I think you mentioned they did this in the bowl game, but I can I can see three of those guys on the field on pass rushing situations. Yeah. Right. Like I, I can see them getting Nick Herbig, TJ Bowlers, and Daryl Peterson on the field at the same time on third down. Now CJ gets, as you mentioned, their best run stopper, but I don't think he would necessarily be considered their best pass rusher. So I can right. see some like there are going to be opportunities for a Daryl Peterson to get on the field when uh, it's in that situation. But TJ Bowlers is just an absolute nightmare, I think, to deal with because he does have he did lose some weight, but I don't think he's lost his strength and he's certainly a lot quicker than, than he was when we saw him last spring. So there are a lot of different ways that you can use these guys. And I think uh, it's, it's probably pretty good that Jim Leonard is your defense corner because you know, he's going to come up with the best ways to use them uh, and get production out of them. Right. Well, Jim was talking about this, that we know what we have in Nick, obviously Herbig had nine sacks last season. It was going to be dominant this year. I have no doubt about it. But the question that Jim was asking is how many guys can you develop to feel confident that you can rotate and possibly move Nick around? So they want to create some matchup issues and have some flexibility. And they absolutely have that this year with, with uh, the personnel. And yeah, you're, you're right. Like Leonard, perfect guy to put this together. I think the outside linebackers are going to cause a lot of problems for quarterbacks and, and offensive lines this year. Yeah. There's no doubt though, that Nick Herbig, is the voice of the defense. The voice, can hear him a lot. <laughs> the voice and the emotional leader on this defense. I think Keanu Benton will probably also have a big role in that respect. But Nick Herbert had the defense, like before practice got going on Friday, he had the defense up around him and just absolutely going nuts. Uh, you know, yelling, screaming, like just, you know, let's go. Like just getting them pumped up for what was uh, turned out to be a, a very long practice with a whole lot of 11 on 11. And, you know, he was in and out of the lineup this year, but the, f- the, the first play that he was in the other day, I mean, he just went right around Logan Brown and he got, <laughs> yeah. and, and, he, and he got called uh, Logan Brown got called for holding. Cause it was the only way he could stop the curb. It's an unfair matchup of course, but yeah, you're right. Herbig's in line for a big year. And I think it's, be- he's going to be able to have that big year. I think he's, people are going to focus on him early, right? Like there's going to be a lot of focus on him early, to see if all these other guys that are new can make plays, but I think they're going to show that they can make plays and that's going to free up some more things for Nick inside linebackers where the, I think the biggest question outside of safety still remains pretty sure. I feel good about Jordan Turner and I feel pretty good about take grass. I get, you know what? I, I don't even know why I'm, uh, why I said biggest question. I think those are your starters. Yeah, I do too. Um, as you talked about, and we laid out previously, Bill Sheridan's philosophy was just to go by snap count last season. So we didn't have a chance to see what the top group was really going to be. It was Tate Grass and Muma Jong Meta based on the snaps because Grass, I think, had 63 and, and Muma had 58 last season. But you and I both knew that Jordan was going to move up. He made the move in the fourth week, stayed there the last two weeks. It seemed like the backups could be Muma and Jake Cheney. Um, yeah. But I, honestly, I know there's no... Leo Chanel, Jack Sanborn tandem that doesn't come along very often. And I can't say like the group is going to match the production of those two, but I feel like the inside linebackers are going to be okay. Uh, Like they're going to be fine is what I mean. Um, There is some talent there, but 
it's not a lot of experienced talent, obviously. I mean, the two starters we just mentioned, Grass 63 snaps, Turner 20, what, 24 snaps last season. Um, but like, I think Turner, and you said it too, sort of the next star inside linebacker, and he's going to have a, a real chance to show it this year. Yeah, he is. I think Tate Grass is going to kind of play maybe the more Jack Sanborn role. Yeah, of, Turner will know, go blow stuff up like Leo. Yeah. Um, and obviously Jordan Turner and Leo are two very different bodies in terms of, you know, Jordan Turner's a little bit more undersized than Leo was. I mean, at what was he, 260 last year? And obviously could still run. You know, and I know he dropped weight for the draft, but you know, Jordan Turner, a little bit different body there, but I think that he also has a chance to be faster and, you know, maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say explosive because Leo Chanel was very explosive, but I think he's got, he's got a different body and a, and a different way to get it done. But I think, I still think he will take grass kind of more in that Jack Sanborn slash Leo Chanel body type of uh, a little bit more stout. I think you would say, is that, a, you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, okay. You know, if anything, uh, it helps that the pieces around them, like that front seven, I think is going to be very good. I, I do expect this to be like a top 15 defense in the country, even though you're losing the best inside linebacker tandem in the country. Maybe yeah. that's a high bar. Right. I, I, you know, the, the, the other question though is who's behind them or does I it matter? That, <laughs> well, with, with Bob Bostad no longer there, I think it kind of does matter. Um, right. Like, uh, I don't think you're going to see two guys play the entire time, but if one of those guys were going to go down, I think Jake Cheney and Mumar are probably your number twos. And then mm-hmm. it goes probably Jake Rassoff after that. I don't know where Spencer Lytle is. He obviously dropped out of spring, got hurt, which has kind of been a story for him throughout his, his career. I don't necessarily love the depth there beyond the top four. I think that's fair. Um, well, I, like rats laugh. I, I shouldn't say that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. You know, is he ready to play a major role? I don't know yet, but I think they've got five potentially if Lytle is healthy, that's the big question. It's obviously a big change to go from outside to the inside, but even Leonard said he played a lot of inside his senior year. And when they recruited him, they knew he had that versatility. So again, may not have the, the top, top end, of what you had last year, but I just, I think they're going to be okay. And I, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to do their jobs and do enough to be successful. And there's one incoming freshman there at that position, Tristan Monday, right? Like he's, uh, I believe he's the only, and then obviously Aiden uh, Vaughn who came in early. Yeah. So corner is the position we haven't touched on defense so far. And a lot of options there. Has your, did your opinion change at all of uh, Jay Shaw? like in the last two weeks where he was kind of limited with, with an injury when he came back was not with the first team defense. Um, not really. Okay, um, good. Good. Cause that's, that's why I'm at too. Like, I still think he's, I still think he's one of the starting corners. Yeah. Like, I don't know what exactly the, that was an abdominal injury. That's, that's what the word we received on him, but I don't know how much of it was. Look, you, we, we sort of know what we have in you. It's been a couple of weeks don't need to push it. This is spring ball. If anything, it gave other guys an opportunity. And I'll be honest, Zach, I know that we've both praised the outside linebacker group. I sort of came away from the spring feeling like the cornerbacks, like the top five uh, might be the best that the position group defensively. And I say that because of what we got to see maybe when Shaw was out, like Ricardo Hallman 
man, I thought he had a really good spring and came on late when he got a lot of the one reps. Justin Clark to me may have been one of the surprises of the spring for me. I thought he was coming in because Hank Poteet knows him. They need to fill a, a hole. He can bring some experience. Maybe you'll get a handful of snaps. No, nah, he is the number one slot guy. He can play on the outside. He made a bunch of plays and Alexander Smith going to be a starter too. So, and Cedric Dort, who, you know, that's a guy who's a multi-year starter at Kentucky, still trying to learn everything here, but that top five is pretty darn good. I respectfully disagree on your idea that this is better than the outside linebacker group, but that said, it's a really good group. And I'm basing I, it on game experience. I'll just say that like in part. Okay. Yes. I mean, you bring in a guy who's was a, was an all second team, all pack 10 guy. He's in Jay Shaw, Alexander Smith. It feels like Jim Leonard has just a ton of confidence in him. When we talked with him last week, you know, him talking about how he knows everything he does. He can play any spot. It's, it's not like he even has to worry about it. Like if they need him to go play safety, he can go play safety, but he just, he made a whole bunch of spot, uh, a bunch of plays lining up on the left side uh, at the left cornerback spot. And I think that's kind of, it's his spot. And then Justin Clark, if Jay Shaw isn't, uh, if Jay Shaw isn't your starter at one of the spots, Justin Clark certainly is. And then he can move inside and was, was great. And you mentioned it earlier, like his battles with, with Tim Ray, they were among the more fun things to watch this, this spring. Like when they would go up against each other, it was an absolute battle and Justin Clark won his share. So Yes, I like the top three. Ricardo Hallman had his moments, I would agree. Cedric Dort, I don't necessarily think we saw too many big plays from him, but you yeah. mentioned he's, he's still learning things. Al Ashford moved in between safety and cornerback. The one guy you haven't mentioned, and I can't believe you haven't, Amon Williams, who made more <laughs> plays made more plays than any other cornerback um, yes. and was also on the receiving end of some of the big plays from the offense. So, like, he was either making great plays or, you know, was, was sometimes – I know some of those deep throws was the guy that was trailing him, but that's, that's what comes with it. I mean, he is, he is as exciting of a player. Like I honestly, I love watching him because he mm-hmm. just does not give a crap. Like he is going to get up in anybody's face. You mentioned Julius Davis, like jumping over him. You, you didn't mention the fight breaking out after that. Um, yeah. But like he is, he is so fun to watch. I don't know if he'll ever have a role at Wisconsin, but he is fun to watch in practice and he gives it, everything and is not afraid to mix it up with everybody it's awesome you will know about it when he makes a play because oh, yes. he will let everyone know about it and i had a chance to talk to him this spring for a story that'll run at some point uh over the long summer that we have coming up um i mean he talked about like because he does that in part because if the offense makes a play against him they're going to let him know about it but that's just the swagger and the, the style of play that he has He's put in a ton of work. I didn't know this, but he was in Florida during the offseason for a bit. Uh, he was working out with Rashad Wild Goose down there, and he got to work out with some pros. Um, and I think he he made a lot of strides. Now, we talked about him as a playmaker in camp, and, and there are clearly at least five guys ahead that are going to play. But very entertaining. One of the more entertaining players to watch in the spring and certainly took advantage of his opportunities because he was in – on a number of interceptions and a number of hits. Yes. And like he make a play on one end of the field and sprint to the other end of the field. Like it was, it was fun. It was fun. He's a, he's a, I think he's a talented guy. I don't know if he's ever going to play like significant and meaningful minutes, but he is certainly a joy to watch at practice. The other guy that I don't think we mentioned was, was Max Lofi. He, uh, mm-hmm. he had his moments, uh, including, I believe it was a, his, 
breakup of a pass that ended up in uh, Owen Arnett's hands in practice on on Friday uh, off a Chase Wolf pass. But he's, I think, a guy that probably is a slot, maybe maybe the second slot behind behind Justin Clark. I don't know, but he's he's another young guy that is that if they didn't have the transfers that they had, probably would be getting some time this year. Like yeah. probably significant time this year. I think that's fair. And we also haven't mentioned much of Avion Jones. Now just a true freshman was an early enrollee. Don't know what his role is necessarily going to be next season, but he played a lot of safety. Um, that's what the staff liked about him is that he could play any spot in the secondary. I think that's going to give him a chance. And let's just say uh, this is total speculation, but if Travion Blaylock isn't available at the start of the season, if Wisconsin doesn't have success in the transfer portal, you know, how quickly can Avion pick everything up? They threw a ton at him, which is something that Leonard acknowledged. I think he's got a very bright future for Wisconsin, wherever he winds up in the secondary. So would you put him over Owen Arnett at this point? Mm, no, because of just Owen Arnett was out there the most. Uh, he was consistently with the twos and he did make a handful of plays. Um, Right now, I suppose I wouldn't, but you also have to consider that Avion is learning multiple spots right now and has only had 15 practices. Um, yeah. That, that, my opinion may change in the fall. It just, I don't know how things are going to shake out in terms of where they want Jones, who they'll bring in if they do. So that's where I'm at as of now. Yeah. yeah the other guy that missed the entirety of spring was Preston Zachman. We saw him mm-hmm. make a few plays uh, in spring last year, but um, be interested to see, you know, if he's able to get back healthy and, where he fits in if if Travion Blaylock isn't available. Can he be the like, the top backup there if if the other guys aren't? We'll see. The other we the other guy you asked Jim Leonard about was Austin Brown. He's coming in mm-hmm. as an incoming freshman. He'll be here in June. Is there a chance that he can come in and, and do something? Well, I mean, one of the things I like most about talking to Jim Leonard is how honest he is. He will give you ex- generally exactly what he's thinking. And he talked about how last year Hunter Wohler, as talented as he was, wasn't necessarily going to have the types of opportunities that Austin could have because you had Scott Nelson and Colin Wilder there. You don't really have that this year. So there is a little more sense of urgency with Austin coming in. It's all a matter of how quickly any freshman picks it up, and you can never predict that. But I think he's got a legitimate chance to compete for a spot just because of where they are depth-wise. He's got a ton of talent. He's a multi-sport athlete. Um so that's that's kind of where things seem to be coming into the summer. But it's when fall camp starts, how quickly can you hit the ground running and pick everything up? Because if you can be a playmaker there, there's not a ton of options right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, can we get to the first team all uh, intoxication yet? Yes. Yeah, so I, that's where I was going. That's where I was going. So last week I talked about how amazing Deacon. I, Yes. I talked about how amazing Deacon Hill's arm strength was. And I was it's still true. Yeah, very, very still true. <laughs> Sometimes again, you don't know exactly where the ball's going. It may hit. It may put a dent in the wall. It may hit exactly where it needs to. I am on record as saying he's going to be the starting quarterback at some point in his career at Wisconsin. So I was intoxicated and Jesse first team all drunk, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I'm coining that. that trademark it. Yes. And so that was me last week. And after this week of watching Vito Calvaruso, Jesse Temple has a mad, mad hangover off of what he gave them leg strength wise <laughs> in practice this week. Like he just, I mean, the, the intoxication was just off the charts for Jesse this week because what he did, what Vito Calvaruso did 
insane. He hit a 54-yard field goal that would have been good from 70. He the ball it hits the top of the goalpost. Like it was this one was in practice, but the the the, the ball hit the top of the goalpost from 54 yards out. 54 yards out, and he's hitting the top of the goalpost. Oof, Jesse, are you okay? Are you where are we at drunk wise with Caruso? I'm feeling the vapors. Uh, I, I'll be honest. I and I cannot remember seeing a kicker in my 12 seasons on the beat with that type of leg. And I want to temper everything by saying that he missed a 37 yard field goal way wide to the left and then came back on the next snap and buried a 54 yarder that would have been good from 70. So, uh, you know, it's not like we're talking about, um, at least right now, an all pro kicker. I think there is some consistency that needs to come with it, particularly on the shorter kicks, but man, it comes off his leg and it like, it just, it's a rocket. There were times because where we were watching practice from, we were on one side of the McLean center on the second floor. And when he was kicking the field goals in that direction, it would rattle the McLean center. It was hitting off the siding. So it didn't, it wasn't just like the net, which is up there, stopped the ball. It, it went through the net and bounced off the siding. Like that's, that's how hard he kicks the ball. And I thought he showed a lot more consistency, especially later during drills on Friday, he made kicks from 42, 40, 37, 38 yards. So it's not a matter of the leg strength. It's a matter of the consistency. Um, you know, when he was out because he had a right leg injury for most of the spring, Nate Van Zelst got all the kicks. I thought he was extremely consistent. There was a stretch in one week. They take four kicks at the start of practice each day. He made all 12 of those kicks. None of those attempts were more than 45 yards. And I talked to Nate um, this week as well. And I mean, his whole thing is it's three points, is three points. And if you can be the most consistent, you can win the job. He said, it's nice to have that extra strength, but how many times are you going to get a 57 yard field goal in a game? So um, having said that, I feel like Vito is going to be their guy. I think he's going to be the kickoff specialist as well. That's the job he had the last two seasons at Arkansas. He transferred because he wasn't the starting kicker at Arkansas. He was stuck behind a guy who was a freshman uh, all SEC kicker. But yeah, I am uh, absolutely feeling the vapors. I just, I was joking about this um, when we were watching practices. I sort of felt like I was watching uh, Wild Thing Ricky Vaughn uh, in Major League. Like, you may not know where it's going to go off his foot. And maybe that's not fair because, like, he made most of the kicks that he took. But you just don't know. On a 35-yarder, is it good? But on a 60-yarder, you feel pretty good about it. Yeah, he's insane. I, him and Deacon Hill are going to put some dents in the McLean Center. No I doubt about it. Already that, have. Yes, that is, that is for sure. He's got he's got an interesting roommate right now, doesn't he? Yeah, Rafael Gaglianone is back to, uh, trying to uh, prepare for uh, you know pro career, and they're rooming, and that was not planned. So that's a great guy to learn from because Hoff, obviously, another guy with a big leg who had a long and successful career here. Yeah, in terms of guys with the biggest legs that I can remember at Wisconsin. Zach Hintz, I mean, he hit a 60, what was it, 61? Yeah. Um, two, day, two years ago? <clears throat> or three, I should say uh, 2019? I thought, it was, I thought it was 61 against Purdue. No, 62. 62. So he had, he had a 62-yarder. So his leg is obviously, now that one just barely made it. But again, it was in the cold. It was, yeah, it was a cold no, day. It was November. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, the ball's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder uh, to hit in November. And again, it's a lot harder to hit outside. We didn't get to see any of these guys kick outside. 
uh, this year because of the camp Randall construction and they never went they, I, Now I know they went to the North uh, practice field and practiced out there, but I, uh, um, excuse me, kicked out there, but I, we didn't, we didn't get to see any of that. So I'm, I want to reserve judgment on exactly what that competition looks like until, you know, they get out in the elements and we get to see them out in the elements probably in, in July and in August. But yeah, Vito's got a big leg. The other guy I was thinking of was John Hall who hit a 60 yarder in the Metrodome, uh, back in, I think it was 94 or 95. And, uh, those are the two biggest legs that I can remember at Wisconsin, but Vito is, we'll see what he does on kickoffs. It, what I've seen so far, he's right there, if not better than both of those. So he could be a weapon. He could be a weapon. We'll see. Punter have no, I mean, we didn't get to see barely any punting because as soon as the ball goes up, it hits the ceiling and it's done. So uh, return guys, Dean Ingram, right? Uh, Skyler Bell, maybe uh, Chimray DK. Yeah. Stefan Bracey went healthy. Like I, it's a return game. What are you going to do? How many returns will they actually get? I, I don't know. And what are they going to do with those returns? Yes. Um, you know, but there's some explosiveness, especially on kickoffs. I mean, Stefan Bracey's first touch of last season goes for a touchdown. If he's healthy, uh, that's another difference maker, which they absolutely need. Yeah, for sure. Anything we're missing. I think we pretty much covered it. We went through all the positions. So, um, I, I feel pretty confident in the stuff we're saying. So if you're listening, uh, may not always be right, but like we got to see hundreds, if not thousands of snaps during spring practice. So um, hopefully what we're telling you proves to be accurate. Uh, Before we, before I let you go for summer break, even though it's only April, do you think this offense is going to be better than last year? Man. I mean, for the sake of fans and the program, it better be, um, I, I would like to think that, yes, it will be. Um, now, what kind of bar are we setting here? You know, your starting quarterback ended up throwing more interceptions than he did touchdown passes last season. But I think that there's good playmaking weapons at, at wide receiver. And if, if there's enough healthy bodies at the key positions, they should be better, yes, because I think Braylon's only going to be better. They averaged 25.4 points per game last year. Yeah, and I – I know I wrote this in some stories, but the last two years they were under, I think they were under 26 in both seasons, which is the first time that had happened in back-to-back years since when Barry started. So that's what I'm saying. Know, like it was bad. It's gotta be better. So, okay. So it, it can't, it can't be worse is what you're saying. That's sort of what I'm saying. Ooh, on the record is saying it can't be worse than what he's seen the last two years. Well, which means you think it could be and will be. That's, that's what that's I'm actually, That's it. <laughs> What do you always say? Don't put words in my mouth. Like, uh, that's not what I said. That is not what I said. I was just merely saying, like you were saying, it can't be worse. And I'm saying, I think it possibly could be, uh, not this group. I'm saying it could be worse. It could, I mean, if the start to last season was really bad, like their seven game win streak where they were actually able to put up some points. Like it, it could have been even worse if, uh, if they didn't get the, the Rutgers and the Rutgers of the world and Nebraska's defense on a regular basis. I think it's going to be better. I don't know exactly you know, points wise, whether it's going to be better, I will say the ability to not have to open up with Penn state and Michigan and Notre Dame to start a season is going to be very, very valuable for this offense. Obviously you get obviously, okay. Obviously you get Southern uh, or Illinois state and then two more non-conference games before you then hit to hit Ohio state, but you get those, at least those first three games out of the way, as opposed to having to hit the conference season, like they did last year with a very, very good Penn State defense and a Michigan defense that ended up being one of the best in the country too. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I think all eyes are really on that late September game against Ohio State. Of course, then you're going to find out where Wisconsin is. Um, but I think they're going to give themselves more of a chance this season, um, and that's a step in the right direction. You know, for all the hand wringing about what, what Paul Christ was going to do this off season, I, I think maybe it's just worth touching on this. I think he made some some very good and necessary moves to to move everything forward. Um, some not by choice, obviously, but like bringing in Bobby Ingram certainly appears to be um, a step in the right direction direction based on the things that they're trying to do. And every, I mean, every position coach is on offense is, is it's different than it was last season other than Alvis witted. And ultimately um, I think it's, it's going to be good for the program where, where, where they're headed. When you watch the offense, what is the biggest change in your mind? Well, I touched on it earlier. It's just the, I think the versatility or the willingness to, try and exploit different things in the passing game and use a number of different options and line them up in different places. Um, that to me really stood out. I would agree. And the go routes from the slot are not something that I've, I think I've seen a ton and it's, it's combination with other routes, right? Like it, it, it only works if you run your other routes, but the number of times they hit on big plays out of the slot was different than what we've seen in the past. Like I, that, that to me is, stood out probably as much as anything, their willingness to throw down the, throw the ball down the field and doing it to a position that maybe they haven't done it nearly as much in the past. And um, I don't know, again, it doesn't mean anything uh, in the spring. It's really about putting uh, yourself in position to compete for jobs in the fall. That's what spring's about. I think several guys have done that. Who do you think had the best spring of anybody on the team? Wow. (laughs) Um, I feel like I need a second to think about that. I mean, all right. There's a a handful of guys to me. I don't, I don't know that I put a specific number one. Um, I'll let you think about the ones that we mentioned. Go ahead. I'll let you think about that. Are you going to come up with an answer or no? A single guy. Yes. Since I can't hedge you. Well, actually, you you know what? I'll think. Okay. I'll give you, I'll let you go to the top three. So, so you can, and and they don't have to be any any particular order, but I think that there are several guys that, that stood out. I think Chimray DK, I know you think Skylar Bell had a better spring than him, but I, Respectfully well, disagree. In, in terms of where my expectations were to start, I, I so I, I want to clarify that. Like okay. Chimray was awesome, but I knew he was gonna be awesome. I yeah. didn't know what Skyler was gonna be. Okay, so Chimray DK is up there for me. TJ Bowlers is up there for me. Justin Clark is up there for me. Mm-hmm. And if that if I have to stick with three, that may be it. The, those may be my three. Yeah, I was definitely gonna say Justin Clark. I'm leaning towards Skyler Bell. Um, Hell, I'll just say Chimray DK. I'll throw both of those guys in there. <laughs> how how normal is this though for receivers to stand out like they have this spring? It's I, normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's and that's the problem. I that's the issue with with doing these type of things. Exactly. We say every year that this guy stood out or that guy stood out or he's poised for a big year, based on what we see in spring, even in fall camp. It doesn't always actually rarely does come out and play out that way. <laughs> so that's the difficulty of doing this. So as I, as we f- finish up an hour or, you know, well over an hour of a podcast talking about all the things we saw and potentially could be in the spring. And I'm, t- I'm telling you this now, cause you've already listened to the entire podcast that it's going to be probably all that stuff probably does not happen. Uh, all of it won't, but here's the thing I will say. Sometimes when guys stand out, it's because there's nobody else available. A couple of years ago, Aaron Crookshank was just, destroying people but the guys who were going to play were injured um like last spring i also think about alexander smith and dean ingram really standing out at corner 
Like they were, you would probably say if we were doing a recap of the top three, both guys might be in them and they both had important roles last season. So I don't want to totally discount everything that we've seen. And I do believe that what we're saying about the wide receivers is going to be true because I think those are your two top wide receivers coming into the next season. And I don't think anything's going to change that. So uh, yeah, there have been years where we say, oh man, that wide receiver really stood out. Um, But there were three guys who weren't playing in the spring. So I think some of these positions, there's a greater likelihood that what we saw in the spring will carry over as opposed to in, in some other years. Man, that AJ Abbott had a great spring his freshman yeah. year. Like it was him and, him and Tosh Mustafa both had great, great uh, <laughs> years, uh, their first springs. It was really, really impressive stuff. All right, Jesse, thank you very much. Uh, we will uh, catch up at some point here in the next few months and uh, get ready for another season of Wisconsin football with another season of the camp. But uh, until then, I really appreciate everything that you've done for uh, the podcast and you being on every week and, and really enjoy these, uh, these talks with you. It's been a pleasure. Love doing it. Thanks to everybody for listening. And I look forward to many, many more. Yes. Thank you very much, everyone else. And until next time you've been listening to the camp.